I'm excited to share. I'm working on some new tools to have available for all my listeners, absolutely free. These are tools that I have used personally. If you haven't stopped by my website lately, I would definitely go over there, check it out as I have three free tools up there right now that have helped me elevate my health so that I can make more money. I've gotten some great feedback so far and I could not literally be happier that these are helping people like us change their lives. So I am always looking to create new tools to help all of us win bigger. So make sure you keep tuning in or drop by the site. Let's make sure to also be connected on Instagram or LinkedIn. Now let's get back to it and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Business of Being Healthy, where we are passionate about treating our health as good as we treat our wealth. Shelly Bryan here, and I am obsessed with sharing real-life experiences and wisdom to help save you time, heartache, and money as you continue to grow personally and professionally. Twice a week, we push aside that BS to take massive intentional action, and I promise by tuning in, you will receive the straightforward talk you've been waiting for, filled with actionable steps that will inspire you to achieve the health and wealth you desire while you are building your empire. Well, welcome back to another episode today on the business of being healthy. I am incredibly honored to have today's guest. Um, It's someone that, you know, when you just find someone through someone else, you've never met them, and then you're like, okay, I have to have them on the show. Well, here is that person. Tyler Williams is a creator of the 5-Minute Fear Formula. His work with mind and body, um, and he is a coach doing high-level one-to-one coaching right now, which will grow. We'll talk about that more. It's going to grow next year. He is a speaker, country music artist, as well as a race car driver. How about that resume? Um, He's here to help all of us remember how powerful we are when we are breaking through our greatest fears. If that hasn't gotten you guys excited about this episode, I don't know where I you you got to like tune off now. You got to stay in because we are going to talk about things that aren't typically talked about but need to be addressed because so often it is our own fears or our own self that is preventing us from getting to that next level. So Tyler, I am so excited to have you here with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to share some time together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to kind of dive into a few things here. But what I love is, you know, we were confirming today and it's you're like, I'm in Nashville. I have a I have an event tonight. So I love that you're doing multiple things because I feel like that resonates with so many of our listeners is we're running businesses, families, our passions that will maybe turn into businesses. Tell us a little bit about uh country music and how that came to be in your life. Yeah, I started singing as a kid, uh, singing middle school choirs, got to perform at the Fox Theater in Atlanta at 11 and 12 years old, 4,000 people. And at that moment, you realize this is a career choice, a path for people. And at 12 years old, I, I realized I wanted to be an entertainer, not necessarily mm-hmm. Broadway style musicals. Uh, I performed Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat as part of the choir and the main cast. So just got to experience what high level performance was like as a kid had one bad performance in middle school as a lead singer of a band at a house party, forgot the lyrics of the first song, 
panicked, walked off stage. And for a decade, I didn't perform a public because I was so overwhelmed by the fear of failure, being embarrassed, the shame. And nobody made fun of me. I just, that internal story of I'll never do that again and held that vow for a decade. Wow. And then a, a catalyst moment, a breakup in my 20s opened the door for me to pour out my sorrows at a, at a local restaurant, karaoke night. My friend put me up on stage and kind of forced me to sing with a couple of Jack and Cokes. And that started what has been a 15-year journey to rediscover my voice. First, just doing karaoke, and that led to doing some cover shows or open mic nights. Led to fraternity and sorority parties. You know, growing up in Georgia, there's plenty of those around. And that eventually led me to move to Nashville and release three different EPs over the course of about 10 years and, and try to, to see if we could make a run at, at the, the big dream of being on country radio and, and touring the country. And we didn't quite hit that goal, but got to do a lot of fun things, perform in front of you know, big audiences, got to do some radio performances and really step into a, a place that 12 year old me would go, that's what we set out to do. But that 14, 13 year old kid who failed in that one performance said, that's not possible. You could never do that. So it's been a long journey. And as you said, this morning, I was, I was up at Old Red singing a song with a buddy of mine. That, uh, we actually started playing music together in 2011. And as I'm closing out my time here in Nashville, getting ready to make the move over to Charlotte in about seven days here, it was, it was a fun way to, to close out my time in Nashville. Wow, that is incredible. Um, you know, it's funny that you use the word performance because that's kind of when when I was preparing for today, I was thinking about performing. Um, and that can you know, carry over in so many different areas of life, right? Performing as a country music singer, singer, right? Versus choir and then in the the high school band and or excuse me, the the band at the party and like all these like different performances in our business, in our home, to ourselves, like on podcasts, as a race car driver. Like the word performance, I think we're going to sit on a little bit because I think that can have so much meaning. But what I really loved about that was the obstacle that you had to overcome. So you made a vow to yourself not to, to do it again. What, what was it like, because you were so mad at yourself or what was it that really stopped you? Well, we all are performers. You know, the, mm -hmm. you wake up and you roll out of bed, you start brushing your teeth. The act of brushing your teeth is a performance, right? Mm -hmm. So every, sing, every single thing we do is a performance from all aspects of life. But in that specific mm -hmm. moment, as a performer, that's when you're looking at you. Those are the performers of life, the people who get on stages, who speak, who sing, who are actors, those are the people like the athletes, you know, the Denver Nuggets just won a championship uh, last night. Mm -hmm. And so you see that as the big stage. But in that moment, I wanted to impress my friends, you know, the girls I was crushing on, the buddies of mine that I wanted to impress. And I wasn't someone who sought out tons of external validation, but you still, nobody wants to have a failed performance. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, when the lyrics and you listen to the car radio, you know, every single one of them. You think you do anyways. Mm -hmm. So when my buddy started playing, all of a sudden the lyrics are taken out and that prompting of when to start singing, even if it's like that micro, just that tenth of a second, that hundredth of a second reminder of, oh, that's when they, the singer starts to come in. You take that away and we didn't practice. We just showed up that day and I couldn't find my spot to get into the song. And so he, they roll through the intro again. I find my way through the song, but I can still see out of the corner of my eye, like my buddy who was playing guitar 
Danny's like, what are you doing, man? Like you're, you're screwing this thing up already. And we're just starting. And so it was a really rough start standing there, looking at my friends going like, what do I do? Panic mode. I knew I was going to mess up that next part of the song. And so I just stopped singing, kind of took that internal awareness to go like, this is not getting any better. I just, I got to walk off. Mm-hmm. What is the alternative to keep standing here looking stupid? So the message was just, I just don't want to look stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when you think about fear, you know, it kind of starts as there's stress and anxiety, and then it leads us into an actual fear, and then that can step into the trauma, kind of like mm-hmm. a tiered system. Mm-hmm. And so for me in that moment, it's just the fear of I was seen, I was seen as a failure, and I was embarrassed. I felt guilty for for not putting in the work. I also felt the shame of I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And again, nobody laughed at me that I remember. I actually have a friend I, I spoke to years later. She doesn't remember that night even happening in terms of me walking off stage. It didn't, you know, we, we think these moments that define us, that other people are watching so intently that they are going to remember something. Mm-hmm. And it's like years later, she's not even on her radar. Mm-hmm. But for me, it held such weight that I made that vow. And I think there's something important to think about when we are making internal judgments and vows towards the things we do and don't want in life. Mm-hmm. And something, you know, I didn't tattoo it on my wrist that I could look at every day, you know, don't perform in public. I didn't go around wearing a sign that said, I'm not a performer, I'm a failure. But simply saying, like, I'm not going to do that. It's too painful. Mm-hmm. Held me captive for literally a decade to where I hated public speaking in high school and college. I had plenty of girls that I wanted to ask out that I never did because I was too afraid of the rejection. And so that one moment didn't just derail the potential to perform as a, a singer or as an artist. It really pulled back the opportunity for me to be fully expressed as an individual owning my full power. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's people out there listening going, dang, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had that one moment in middle school, high school, college, or yesterday. And so it's a really relevant conversation. No, I, that's, that's why I wanted to dive in here a little bit, because even at that young age, like now you've obviously reflected back and like really understood what happened at that point. But I think, you know, two two points that really made sense there that I just want to sit on for a second is, you know, how often do we make mistakes, right? And we beat ourselves up for those mistakes and that external vision of it, right? Or what we think is of it starts forming these beliefs and these stories that we tell ourselves. And I love that you said, like, put you in a cage, right? Like it just like kept you from really becoming who you were, or it didn't keep you, it prevented you for a little bit of time, right? It postponed it um, from you really stepping in. Now, one thing I'd love for you to share actually is how, now that you recognize that, right? You, you can probably see when that happens. How would you help someone that maybe has that that feeling of like, wow, okay, I screwed up. I never wanted to do that again. I'm staying right here where it's safe and comfortable rather than stepping into what I want to become. How would you help that person through your own experience? And and I know coaching, how would you help that person step into it? Well, the first thing is to acknowledge that it happened and to validate the experience. Mm -hmm. In my experience, I 100% suppressed all of it. So no one knew. Mm. They knew that I failed or messed up or looked stupid or they could make guesses of what I might be thinking, but no one came up to me afterwards and said, hey, talk to me about that. What happened? Nobody came up to me and said, hey, man, like you can get them next time. We're going to practice. We're going to come back and we'll crush the next performance. Mm -hmm. I live with a story alone. Mm 
And so if I was helping someone, I would immediately say, go express the experience. Now, it might start just by journaling, putting words on paper, maybe going to your room and even just verbalizing the experience. Just talk it out, even mm -hmm. to yourself. But to get to a place where you don't hold on to something that has the power to hold weight over you. And then if I was around other people, I might have a trusted friend, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a parent, a parent figure. And I would have that conversation. Hey, like I was really scared today. I messed up. I screwed up. And I, I felt like shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I hate myself right now or like whatever the words are. Right. And just create a place where that experience can be validated. Because mm -hmm. so many of us are living these lived experiences that are visceral. They're real. You know, fear isn't just a co cognitive experience. It's physiological. It's in the body. Mm -hmm. And so when we begin to recognize this feeling inside the body and what the mind is now telling us, we begin to create something that can move the fear or allow us to connect to it and embrace it rather than disassociate, disconnect, numb out. And again, for me, that 10-year journey of not stepping into the fullness of who I am because I was just afraid. So getting somebody to be able to communicate in a way that's meaningful for them Mm -hmm. Somebody might be very articulate and they use a lot of words. Some people may shut down and have very few words, but they can express it through their movement in their body. There's so many different lanes that we can do connection work and put yeah. voice to it. But it just starts by learning, okay, suppressing it does not help anyone. Mm -hmm. But learning what do you need as an individual? And that's why my work in fear formula, it's, you know, people say, well, what's the formula, Tyler? And I say, well, what is your formula? Because there isn't one size fits all. Mm -hmm. We can find patterns of behavior that typically repeat within different frameworks, but it's what's going on within you that can allow you to be expressed in that moment. And then we do the work to say, how can you get up and go again? And I experienced that so many times in racing after those music experiences, because you literally hit a wall one week and you got to come back the next week and you got to get that car and perform. You almost flipped out of a racetrack one day uh, back in, I think it was 2017. It was my first time flipping a, a vehicle after almost 20 years of racing. Well, I got to come back the next week and do it again. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? You have conversation about it. You talk about it. And you don't just hype yourself up, but you learn ways to step into uncertain environments with as much trust and safety and what you can control. And you go again and see what can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so funny. This, this is so timely because, um, I'll share something that just happened to me, but I even just recorded an episode on this, just talking about that, like uncomfortable, right? If, if you get uncomfortable, everyone always always like embrace the uncomfortable. There's all these cliches and blah, blah, blah. One thing for me is, you know, I show horses competitively across the, the nation. I've had a couple years sabbatical because I'm like waiting for these other horses to come up of age so we can start competing on them. But one thing that I has rung true in the last six months is every time I got on that horse and competed, the stakes were high, right? The money was spent, the time was spent, and all eyes were on me because it's just me and the horse in the arena. So even though I wasn't like verbally performing, everything that I was doing was being watched. And so I was putting myself in those uncomfortable situations again and again and again. Well, I, like I said, haven't, I, I was ninth in the nation in 2020, but I haven't competed since I'm waiting for horses to get age. I yesterday was put into a position where I was 
like, oh my gosh, this opportunity hit myself. I shared this on my stories. This opportunity hit this person who's kind of a celebrity in town for my one of my other businesses. I was like, oh my gosh, he's sitting right there. I have got to go talk to him. God put him there for a reason. We were just talking about, I got to go. I literally started sweating. I started shaking. I was like, I hadn't put myself in that position in a while. And so I had all of these like physical effects that I wasn't used to because I hadn't done it. And so that's what I talk about. When you go in those uncomfortable, like you had, a, you crash your car. I can't even imagine. That's the most fear, like one of the fears, big fears for me, but you crash your car, you got to get in it again. So it's like, you have these experiences, good or bad, you got to go do it again to like build that muscle so that you can perform regardless of the stakes, right? And regardless of the external forces that could be telling you or you telling yourself, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You don't have the experience, what have you. So I'm I'm such a big, you know, believer in, in those uncomfortable experiences. And how have you, you know, between raising cars and getting on stages, performing, both speaking and your music, have you seen that trickle over into other areas of, of business for you to really give you that confidence? Well, one, that's a beautiful example of your lived experience and understanding the physiological effects of you've done this at the highest levels and yet mm -hmm. you still encounter your own fears in a new way in different seasons because things change. Mm -hmm. there's, there's new pathways. Where you today isn't where you were three years ago and you're still stepping in to perform at the highest level. And it happens that way for all of us. So at different, you know, people go, oh, you're doing music and racing and, and speaking. You've done all these things. And it's like, but I didn't do them all at once from day one. Mm -hmm. It's picking up little bits and pieces along my journey that allow me to do music and then do racing and then write a book and go speaking. But it's like these ebbs and flows of seasons where I'm stepping into my own fears, embracing them, still encountering every single day, learning how to navigate it. And eventually over time, you have more courage, you mm -hmm. gain more confidence, and you learn to navigate the body's experience. I've got a lot of mental anxieties when I go perform, not so much as a driver, but mostly on stage as a singer and as a speaker. Even today, being on stage at Old Red, I only sing one song. But in the moments going up, it's like my heart starts racing a little bit, got a little bit of the shakes. I'm just going up there for fun with some buddies of mine to kind of pay homage to this last five years that I've been in Nashville and have fun doing it, but I'm still experiencing it. So it's real for me. It's real at every stage of the journey. And to answer the question, yes, it still trickles into every aspect of life. So when I'm going and selling new deals for speaking contracts or coaching contracts, because my coaching isn't cheap, right? It's a high-end market. And so you're putting yourself in position to encounter these conversations that have resistance or you have this, you know, my greatest fear today still is around being seen. Mm. Well, if you have this fear of being seen, how does that show up when you're, you're selling larger contracts? So I'm navigating my own fears in the moment while I'm helping my clients do the very same thing. Mm -hmm. Looks different today than it did five years ago or 10 years ago. But I've yet to meet an entrepreneur, a business owner who doesn't have some level of fear that shows up even at the highest levels of business, whether it's in the boardroom or at home with their, their families, their children, their spouse, their partners. And so fear just exists. 
We don't get rid of it. You know, I grew up with brands like No Fear around. And we were having the, the hats that had no fear on them. And so you have these messages that's about, you're not supposed to have fear. Mm-hmm. Or even growing up in kind of a church environment where it's like, thou shalt not fear or like, do not fear. And it creates this messaging that it doesn't exist or shouldn't exist. Mm. Now, it does exist. You can't escape it. And so it's the question of how do we learn to, in those moments, embrace it, create connection to it so that we can move through it rather than let it own us to where we do disassociate and numb out to just avoid the experience because it can be painful, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you had mentioned um, just now when it comes to fear, like being able to embrace it. I mean, sounds easier said than done. So maybe take us through when you're coaching somebody, because you had mentioned kind of on the, the first kind of beginning of the coaching is addressing the fears. How, how do you help someone embrace those? One is creating a, a space to be able to do that. Not everybody can create that safe place where people can be revealed, be honest, be vulnerable. Cause you end up talking about some things that might be a little bit scary or they have never told someone else before. Mm-hmm. And so one, just being a safe place for people to be expressed. And sometimes people just have to feel that for their own experience. It's something that you, you know, when you know, you can talk to somebody about something. So that's finding somebody you can do that with. And it might take time to find that right person for you, whoever is listening out there. But once you find somebody you can trust, it's creating awareness. Mm. So it just starts having a conversation of maybe you are very emotionally aware and you have this ability immediately to just begin to speak into it. But maybe you've avoided most of your emotions your entire life. You were told emotions are, are not great, they're bad, or they're scary for you. And so again, it's now how do we create language around what's even happening for you so that you can create awareness? Yeah. You know, you can talk about the thing happening at a, at a logical, kind of that information tactical level, but how does that actually set us up to move forward? How do we engage it in a way that creates conversation? And so it starts by having some really detailed in-depth conversations about the experience so we can put language to it, creating understanding, because we can't move through it until we know what it is we're even talking about. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we, we do work around the body. How's it showing up in the body? What are you feeling? Is it a sensation? Is it, is it a numb? Do you even have a clue what it looks like or feels like? And it's all about awareness. Yeah. Now, I couldn't have told you any of that even 10 years ago for myself. I had some awareness around emotional intelligence and leadership and communication, but how did it feel in my body? Did anger exist for me? I would be like, no, I don't, I don't get angry. I'm the nice guy. Um, I don't feel, I don't feel hurt. You can't hurt me. And so some people might be like, yeah, I'm already there. I've got all the tools and language, but so many people don't have the tools and resources because we've never been taught. Mm-hmm. So it's setting the framework that we can even have the conversation that it's important to talk about. It's not wrong or bad that you're having feelings or emotions that may be difficult. And it's that starter kit to get going. And I could see that, especially from, you know, a male perspective, you know, just also too, I, I, I can look at the, I'm thinking about like my husband, I'm thinking about my son, right? Like provider, protector. And it's like, there's no fears. Everything's fine, you know? And then it's like my son, like raising this man, you know, this contributing member of society. And, and it's like, 
having that ability to talk about it, I think is one of the biggest things, you know, because it is always, um, you know, I grew up in the eighties, so let me so, just, date. So did I. I'm like, let me just date myself right there. Best decade ever. Yeah, I'm 39. Ever. So, Oh, I got you beat. I'm 43. Um, I have no problem talking about my age. I love it. And it's like the, the eighties, like, it's like, you're a man, let's go. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. I think we need more of that, but um, you know, raising my son now who's 13 and it's like, I want him to be able to communicate and I am communicating with him in a different way than my parents communicated with me and that both father and mother. Right. And so I want to have these lines of communication open that I never had. And that's something that I think was maybe a little bit taboo, right. Being able to kind of talk about emotions and especially from like protector provider standpoint, and even just business owner, you're the leader. You're not supposed to be scared. You're supposed to have all the answers, right? And it's like, I think that we are in this transitionary period where actually the leaders that are like, I don't know, like, what do you think? And really like leaning on teams, almost having that coach to, you know, um, client or coach to coachy relationship I think that's where like the gold is. That's where all like growth can happen and solutions can be found when we actually expose some fears. Would you For agree sure. with that? Yeah. And it's, you know, we only know what we know in any given moment. Mm-hmm. And so I can resonate growing up in the eighties and early nineties playing football and baseball. There wasn't a lot of talk around emotions. You show up, you put out, you get hit, you get up, you dust yourself off. And you keep going again. Mm-hmm. And the coaches weren't too nice. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot of a harsh criticism when you didn't perform. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation is shifting right now because there are kids who are growing up and emotions are a bigger topic of conversation. And there is no right or wrong way. It's just simply creating space to have conversations so that there's a framework to operate from. And that's where men especially have a, a duty to show up understanding their emotions, their connectivity to what they're experiencing so that they can initiate and raise up that next generation of leaders, whether it's their sons or daughters, mm-hmm. and then also partners in life. And so it's a powerful conversation to be able to say, like, this is what I'm experiencing and do that in a place that feels authentic without, you know, being judged or held to some standard. You know, it, mm-hmm. I always find it interesting. Women want men who can communicate their feelings. And yet when they do, so many women check out or think the man suddenly has become you know, too feminine. And it's like, well, you, you want something, but then you get it, you, you say something else. So it's an interesting conversation around emotions, but it is powerful because any leader, whether male or female in the workplace has emotions. And yet, especially in the corporate environment, you can't bring that to the table because when you do, it's too much of this or not enough of that and creates tons of judgment. And when you talk about building a great culture, a great team, being able to lead from a place of authenticity, just mm-hmm. like you said, when you don't have the answers, you can go to your team and say, what would you do? This mm-hmm. is what I'm looking for. This is what we want to experience and create. What's on in your world? What's happening for you? Or just even doing a, a circle around the floor and engaging the teams, culture. Yeah. Hey, what's going on? Not just here in the office or the workplace, but what's going on in your life? Get to know people. And it takes a level of willingness to be vulnerable, to see people not as disposable, 
to not see them simply as opportunities for conflict because they don't agree with you, but to see them as opportunities to, to serve, to have greater compassion, to seek win-win opportunities for everyone around rather than these us against them or me against them. And that permeates culture and not just in the workplace, but at home too. I literally, I can, I'm like, if you're watching on YouTube right now, I'm like, literally I'm back in my chair and I'm shaking my head. Yes. Because so much, especially like when it comes to culture and when we're leading in our businesses, I know from my almost 18 years in corporate America, right. It, and it was like sales to this, to that, like marketing. Um, it was, we were always stacked ranked, right? So me to win, you to lose. You win, that means I lose, right? And so when you kind of have that competition where it's like a zero sum, like we can't all win is so hard. And that it is something, it really fires me up, but it sounds like you've got something to add. Well, I remember I've never worked corporate. And so all I re- I'm relying on other people that I've consulted with or coached or friends that are in the corporate world. And it becomes mm-hmm. a game. I distinctly remember a conversation probably 10 years ago with a friend working in corporate real estate. And he essentially was saying, I'm, I'm climbing the ladder and I'm playing the game. And what he meant by that was he's waiting until somebody falls off the ladder or gets knocked off the ladder. And that he would take his moment, not in a Machiavellian way to destroy someone else's career, but he was simply waiting for somebody to screw up, for somebody mm-hmm. to do something to get knocked down. Mm-hmm. Or, or if he just outperformed them, because there is a ranking system that he would just jump ahead of them. Yep. And that's a really poor way to live life. Mm-hmm. It's a really poor way to create culture. And as leaders who create opportunities for people around them, it's like train somebody up, raise somebody up, guide somebody to be the best version of you, to be better than you, equip them so they can take your spot. And even if they do, maybe they deserve it because you weren't putting out. Mm-hmm. But with that mindset, it creates a pathway to raise up an organization that is engaged and excited and passionate and doing some meaningful work versus one that is fear-based and yep. is conflict-driven and is always worried about, like, what's, what's behind me? What's behind me? Somebody's coming after me. Yep. I can't take a day off because if I do, somebody else is going to come get me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and yet they're burned out, they're tired, they're frustrated, they hate their job. They're telling everybody they hate their job. So now you're telling the whole world around you that this place sucks to work at and it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know that you've coached like multiple, you know, seven figure business owners and, and you just mentioned something like burnout, right? And tired. How often have you coached somebody, you know, here on the Business of Being Healthy show, we talk a lot about that correlation between health and business, right? I am a huge believer that like your next greatest level of wealth is directly tied to your health. And so when you've worked with these business owners, do you have any examples? I mean, this is totally off the cuff, not prepared everyone listening in, but have you had anyone that has had any health issues because of fear, right? Or because of something they weren't stepping into them best, you know, their best self in a certain situation when relating to business. All the time, everybody has some level of something happening. Fear impacts the body in ways that most of us don't actually understand. Mm-hmm. Creates disease, different pathways, overwhelm, inflammation. Let's say an example would be a dentist who is a seven-figure producer. They personally have a, a mid to high six-figure income. By all standards, they have a great life. 
their net worth is in a place that most Americans simply can only dream of. And yet on the inside, they're having heart problems. They're overweight. They're on the verge of a heart attack. Their blood pressure, I mean, their full spectrum of health is way out the window because they have all this stuff, but their elevated lifestyle, they're living on the top of that income. <laughs> they have skyrocketing debt because to start a practice, to maintain a practice, they've got you know, $600,000, $700,000 in business debt plus personal debt. And so they're carrying almost a million dollars in debt, which for a small business owner can be a, lot, a little bit weighty. So you have <laughs> physical weight on their body. You have the mental weight of all the expectations. And when you think of your dentist, you just think they're a pillar of the community. They have it all figured out. They're mm -hmm. successful. They're making six figures. Boo-hoo for them. But inside, they're carrying this weight of the world because they want to serve the community. They love to serve. They're helping people. That's what they got into the business for. They have a team of people. They might employ 16 members. Maybe they're a big team and they have 15. Maybe they're a super practice and have 30 plus. Those are families that expect them to show up and work so that they can get paid every day. And if they're afraid that they're going to miss a payment or they're worried about the next day because something else is going on, they're putting their health on the back burner. They're not working out. They're not eating right. Their relationships at home are probably suffering as well because they've got this high level of stress. And so all of a sudden, if you took a, a, an overview of their life, you, you just check in. It's like nothing's going right, except they're still alive. Mm. But even that, feels like, even that feels like a burden. And I know there's somebody listening out there who's going, that's me. That's mm -hmm. my life right now. Life sucks. I'm unhappy. And first thing is to say, hey, it's okay. Because mm -hmm. luckily for you, you're still alive. And we've got some choices to make and they're not going to be comfortable to start with. But you're so lucky we get the opportunity to do some work, to create awareness, and more importantly, speak life into who you are. And that's why I love my work because it's not about this external world. It's not about looking out, trying to find all these little things to make your life better. It's just looking inside and remember who you've always been because you've just forgotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like I'm, I'm thinking about this, this dentist that you just, just described and you could plug in dentist, you could plug in media agency, you know, you could plug in, I mean, whatever, like trampoline park owner, like whatever it is. Like we can go back to, we can go down to high school students. A hundred percent. Well, what I we was just going to relate this to Tyler is think about like what we see on like social media, right? And the picture perfect lives that everyone has and the millions of followers and blah, 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 all that other stuff. But meanwhile, behind the curtains, they're like dying. Physically, mentally, all together. I'll go out, and I don't think it's going out on a limb. I think it's just truth. If you're alive today and you've had a smartphone put in front of you, so we can talk about kids going back to four, five, and six years old, all the way up to those who are you know, ending their final days on this earth, we're the most lonely, disconnected, and unsatisfied, unfulfilled people that has existed on this planet at any point in time. And that lack of connection through what we think is connection through social media and all the things that we put out in the world is slowly crumbling our internal value system, how we see ourselves and how we experience the world. And it doesn't become a question of, well, how do we get rid of it and stop it? It's how do we live with it in a meaningful, interactive way? Because it's not going anywhere. It's only going to mm -hmm. change and shift with AI and 
the interactions we have, but it's how can we reconnect to our heart, to our mm. soul, and then express that into the world so that you and I right here, we're connecting. We're getting to know each mm. other at a deeper level. We're having this high level conversation around what we believe and see. And that changes how we see each other. Because now you know a little bit more about me and what I believe, yeah. what holds meaning for me. And yet we're not doing that at scale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to get one-to-one -one or small group to get to this level. You know, you can peer in and listen as a listener, right? But when are you doing this in your own life? Mm -hmm. Maybe it doesn't feel safe to do this with a parent or a partner at the moment, but you got to find places to be expressed, to reveal what's on the heart, to put yourself out there, to take the risk, to be vulnerable. And the more we can do that, the more thrilling life can get. And I think, like you said, is like finding that person, you know, um, and, and it can be hard. Like I'll, from my perspective, like I was always, I had no problem going into the big room, talk to anybody, but like really connecting. I kept up this like front I'd walk into the big networking group or the big corporate meeting or the big entrepreneur meeting or what have you. And I'd have this front up. I'd have this protection. And it has taken me years to be able to walk in and actually give them who I am. And that's something that I think to, to just kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Tyler, I think that's part of it is like finding someone that you can connect to, but then I, I'm not going to use the word authentic because I think it gets like used too much, but then showing up as who you really are, right? Not just your persona on the front. And sometimes that starts with journaling. If you don't have that safe place, it's like grab a journal, grab a, a voice note and just let it out. Let it out. That is like the first step to really start recognizing and finding out who you are and you know, one thing I want to transition over here to really quick, because you and I align on this so much. And, and this is right here on the beginning of your website. You say, I help people remember how powerful they are. I freaking love that because so often we think we're not equipped. We don't have the experience. We don't have the knowledge. We aren't good enough. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's actually go back through your life and look at all these challenges. Look at all these crazy things that you thought about doing and actually stepping in and doing them. I was talking, yeah, I was talking to my friend, Mike Metcalf Jr. He's worked in the NASCAR ecosystem as a, a pit crew member, as a pit crew coach, 15 plus years. And he was a collegiate football player at Appalachian State University. And we were having this conversation and it's like, man, like we both can acknowledge we've done so much with our lives. I've done things that people would go like, I wish I could do even a percentage of what he got to do. And yet when it's your life, you just like, I wake up and it's mine. I'm just doing what I do. Now, like I said before, I didn't just wake up and have all this skill and talent to do the things I'm doing. It's a learned experience. But it's normal for me. It's normal for me to feel a certain way about something a struggle of mine or a place where I feel really confident and just like him, when he goes to pit a car, like that's become so natural and people go like, man, how do you, how do you step in front of a car that's flying at you 50 miles an hour and then get ready to change a tire? But I think we all do that. We all just go about our lives thinking it's, it's mundane. It's normal. It's just 
it's just me. Who am I? I? I'm just, I'm just a normal person. And it doesn't matter if you're the teacher at your local middle school. It doesn't matter if you're a nurse at your local hospital. You wake up and you go, it's just my life. And because we've gotten so used to just going through the routine, we forget how powerful we are. We forget how much experience of life that we have gained, how many adversities, how many moments. It's like, that was a major challenge and I made it through. I thought life, when that relationship ended, I was broken. My heart was in pieces. I didn't think I'd get up the next day, but I did. That test I needed to pass to get licensed, to go do the thing that I do, whether a doctor or a lawyer, I didn't know if I was going to pass, but I did it. But we forget those things 10 to 15, 20 years down the road. Sometimes we need some help remembering that. Real quick, if you can think about how you found out about this podcast, somebody probably shared it with you, told you about it, or maybe you saw it on an Instagram story. Currently, the only way this grows is through word of mouth. I don't sell any ads or sponsorships right now, so my only ask to you is that you continue to pay it forward. However you found out about this podcast, that you do the exact same thing for someone else. So if it is leaving a review, sharing it in your stories, Literally, if you do that, it would mean the world to me and definitely throw some good karma out there for you and another entrepreneur. I, I couldn't agree more. When when I was coaching, I, I had ended coaching um, at the end of last year, but I would have like one thing I would have my clients do is actually like create a note to save in their phone of like everything that they never thought they were going to get through, right? The unexpected move, um, the unexpected job loss, raising a child. That's no easy feat. Like go through and like realize and be like, dang, I'm freaking powerful. Like I did this. Like you almost need to be like, have that like swagger of like, you want to see what I did? Let me tell you what I did. And it's like, if we all did that and shared that story, we'd all look at each other and be like, you're freaking amazing. And sometimes that's what we need to hear is like, you're amazing. Do you understand like what you did? Like incredible. You get on a stage and sing. What? Like, that's incredible. But what I think is actually more amazing is the fact that you stopped and started again, right? And the thing was that got you to start again was a really hard breakup, right? So it's like hard, hard, and look at where you are now. That's like what needs to, uh, we need to talk about. Like, so I love this. Love this, Tyler. And it's easy to just overlook it all. Mm -hmm. Or I grew up in a way that, I didn't like sharing all of my wins. I mm-hmm. felt like I was shining too bright around people. I felt mm-hmm. that if I really showed up most powerful in my most authentic self, my most powerful self, that I would shine so bright that I would overwhelm people or that people wouldn't like me. And so I still did the things I love to do, but I downplayed it. I didn't talk about it. I didn't like to share about it. You could see me doing the thing, but unless you directly said, hey, Tyler, tell me about this experience, I wouldn't talk to you about it because you would feel bad about yourself that I was doing something that you couldn't do or didn't do or don't have access to. And it's learning that the the brighter I do shine, the more people 
I actually do get to inspire. Now yeah. I invite more hate when I do that because you're always going to have haters. But the people that see what I'm doing and go like, if he can do even one of those things and here he's doing two, like what's possible for me? The amount of family members that I've inspired to do one little thing that they didn't think they could do just because I'm out stepping into to new territories every day or some random person I've never met on the internet who read my book and goes, Hey, I decided to live today because I read your book. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't shining and showing up, expressing myself, where do those opportunities come from or where do they go? Yeah. Does that, is that one person not alive because I didn't write that book? Who knows? But wow, like by showing up and being expressed, I had that ability to impact somebody. And that's not unique to me. We all have the ability to smile at somebody who's checking you out at the grocery store or to just give somebody the benefit of the doubt. We don't have to live in silos of, well, if I give somebody some encouragement or if I smile at somebody or if I just take the risk to look a little silly, Mm -hmm. that the conversations on the other side of all the things we're afraid of, because I'm still afraid. My fears don't go away. You just learn to embrace them, to talk to them. You know, I think it's perfect what you said. It's like, if you don't have anybody, get out your phone and go for a walk and talk into it. Talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. And don't just talk about all the awful stuff. You know, get that out as well. But it's like, when's the last time you really gassed yourself up? You know, like walking off stage, singing this one song this morning. I'm like, man, I didn't sound great. I this and this. It's like, man, like you had fun. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like talking, like how you would talk to a friend, right? Like if, if your friend came to you and was like kind of feeling down or what have you, how would you help them? Like that, it's almost like you're looking in the mirror, like you're your friend, like be that friend to yourself too, in, in how you talk to yourself and how you address like fears or aspirations. But one thing that I want to just hit on really quick before um, we move on is what you said about... um kind of like making yourself small, not talking about your wins. That's something that I can tell you. And I know our listeners right now can resonate with this because I've heard this in the rooms that I've been stepping in more often than not is that it's like, I'm not going to celebrate that much. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm, I'm just going to do me and just kind of like keep, keep me here. And I just can't reiterate enough what you said that you're actually hurting somebody by staying small. Because if you inspire one person by your success, how powerful of a life would that be? That you inspired one person to live or you inspired one person to believe in themselves and take that chance. I I just, I have felt that too, especially with family. My husband and I, we've been like, we're just going to stay quiet. We're going to do this. We're going to be cordial and move on, Right. And it did no one any good. And it hurt us the most, you know, when we can't like walk in as our true self, that doesn't feel good either. So, I mean, look, there are seasons of life where you do hold things closer to the the chest, right? Of course. But more often than not, people continue to hold that space and don't ever reveal Mm -hmm. the power that they hold because they fear like they'll be too much or they'll be rejected or people won't like them. They won't fit in. We don't want to be excommunicated. We don't want to be banned from the community. And I've been in trainings across the country from, you know, I'm 
I've been Georgia most of my life around Atlanta, been in Nashville, now about to head to Charlotte. But I've been in training environments from Dallas to Austin to LA to Seattle to New Jersey. And in every single room, almost everyone is just looking to feel significant. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they put on the front, and you talked about it earlier. And they put on the front hoping that one day they get the big stages and they're getting 10 to 15,000 per keynote that they write the best-selling book or they have this big worldwide podcast that's getting tens of thousands of downloads per month and you said it perfectly they don't celebrate the Mm in-between i've been guilty of that myself i still have to check myself to remember to celebrate but if you've never been on a podcast before and you get booked for your first show what do you tend to do You don't want anybody to know that's your first one. So you hide it. Or you book that first keynote, but it's only to a room of 25 at your local Rotary Club. Mm. And you didn't actually get paid. So I don't want to talk about that because people find out that I'm not this big time speaker. But that might be the gateway that books everything that changes the trajectory of your speaking career, right? What would happen if you just celebrated? We're publicly honoring, hey, I'm launching my speaking career. And you just talked about the journey along the way. Or as you're doing more podcasts, you said, hey, I just got my first podcast booked rather than trying to play it cool and be some you know, figurehead that people should listen to. Mm-hmm. You'll find the space, you'll create the space, the lane will develop if you stay the course. But if you weren't searching so hard to feel significant, to be validated, it's like we all want to be validated. We all want, we want people to appreciate us for our work and who we are. But if that's what you're seeking from the get-go, you'll show up in the room an empty person because you'll never fully find it in that space. I think that's also true in, in like we were talking about earlier in, in being the leader of your team, leader of your business, right? And you're, I could say leader of your, I'm going to say leader of your team because that could be your home too. Um, you know, one of the biggest things, Tyler, you may not know this. I talk about mom is the leader of the home. Like mom is the leader of the home. I may not be the protector. I am the leader though, right? What we eat, how we take care of stuff. I am the leader and I need to show up in that way. Um, and so I think you can relate that to business or home. But, you know, you just mentioned something that I, I just, as we are, I mean, this conversation has been so great. Um but you had mentioned something about just like showing up and how, when you have coached someone one-on-one, give us, give us the details here. When you see someone kind of at the beginning of your coaching relationship towards, you know, time or the conclusion of it, what is that biggest shift in showing up that you've seen? And what has been maybe the one or two actions that they have done consistently to really change the way that they're showing up for their, I'm going to use the word team. The two components that really are the the pieces that drive my coaching is one, helping someone remember how powerful they are. Mm -hmm. And so that first stage is about remembering, whether it's culturally, whether it's at home, language that was spoken over to you as a child. We're doing some deep inner work to, to help you remember. Mm-hmm. And then once we help you remember, it's then how do you provoke the world around you? 
because when you stand out in your power, you're going to provoke people. And it's learning how to be fully expressed in a way that you're okay with that. Not because you're intentionally setting out to be divisive and have this anger component, this conflict driven component, but it's realizing in those moments of conflict actually drive my success. Not because I'm leading with anger, but because I'm willing to have hard, difficult conversations first with myself, because it all starts with me. And then how do I bring that to the world? And so in a, a deep coaching work on one-on-one, it's getting to a communication framework that allows us to be seen for the first time in a way that maybe we haven't. Most of my clients will say, I've never been seen the way that you see me. I've never been held the way that you hold me, not physically, but the space. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's what is their world look like? What are they creating? And how do we bring that to a framework that makes sense for them? And I don't do the, you know, I have brought out the wheel of life and done some traditional coaching models around that, but we take it week by week and we find the area of life that's most meaningful for them to maximize, to create expression around, and we break the suppression. Mm. We break what typically for most clients has been decades long experience of suppressing a certain portion or place in their life that when they crack the lid on it, when they begin to break three, it shifts the conversation. And now there's freedom to move in a way they've never moved before. There's a lightfulness, there's a playfulness, there's a creativeness, there's an innovative streak that comes to life. There's a willingness to embrace the discomfort of conversations. So now they're able to talk with their spouse or their partner in a way they never have before. Mm-hmm. That in itself can ruffle feathers because if you've done something one way for 10 years of marriage or 20 years of relationship, well, now you show up differently. How do they respond? So we navigate personal relationships. We navigate team relationships. You know, your most direct senior report, you've had this relationship that works, but it doesn't really work. But now we shift the conversation and it allows for a whole new world a possibility to exist. And again, all of that, I don't talk about it much because I don't think it matters to me. All that ends up impacting business growth. It impacts how you show up in your communication skills. So your branding, your messaging, it all gets tweaked along the way. That's the stuff I don't really talk much about because I don't get lit up by that as much. Mm -hmm. But it's part of of the work we do. Your ideas, your beliefs, your messaging, it all gets transformed because now you're working from a soul level, a heart level, rather than trying to piece together, what's the perfect thing I got to say so people like me? We kind of throw that script out the window and we start expressing from the heart. And when you do that, the community around you typically goes, something's different about this person. Mm -hmm. They talk in a way that's different. They're walking in a way that's different. I don't even know what it is, but I want to, I need to get closer to that. And when they get closer to that and they experience it, they go, that's a breath of fresh air. Cause that person, they're real. And I need some of that. And that's like, it, it, it's like a natural progression. I'm sure that happens for your clients. And, and I know that's happened for me. Um, and I know that's happened for previous women that I've worked with is like, you then start attracting the people that you want and you start letting go of those that don't, I guess, support or lift you up in this new version of yourself. You lose relationships because what once aligned doesn't, align any longer Mm -hmm. you don't cut you know it's not a a cutthroat situation but it's like hey like this doesn't align with my vision for my life anymore Mm -hmm. i I now have different boundaries yep 
you know, I'm putting more boundaries in my life this year because I'm going through different experiences that I didn't have before, or I was willing to hold well, all of that slide. Like, no, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. Yeah. We're all going through different stages, different frameworks. And so my work, it, it centers around the soft skills of life and it's not sexy. It's not the, the A to B let's, let's pull out the data and let's really just dive into the numbers and, and create some growth. But the growth that happens out of the soft skill work, the leadership and communication skills to help someone be fully expressed in a world that is teaching you how to be suppressed. Most of my clients have the money. They already have mm -hmm. the titles, the acclaim, the awards. And so when people have not experienced that, they're like, oh, but surely it can't really be that difficult. Or man, like they've got it easy compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But once you get there, it's like, oh, my problems are still the same. They're just actually a little bigger because now there's more money around it. I can throw more stuff to disassociate and disconnect and numb myself out. I can go buy the toys. I can go pay for the relationship that, you know, works for me, but it really doesn't work for me. Yep. Yep. We do the soft work that ultimately creates an experience where they remember who they are. They learn it's okay to be provocative and they have more fun doing it. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. life is meant to be fun. We don't, we don't know how long we have on this earth, right? And if we're miserable, unhappy, frustrated, and look, I've been there too. Mm -hmm. It's a whole lot better when you're able to laugh, have fun, have conversations like this. Yep. Get to one day go to, to watch a, a horse event and see you compete. Those are things that you get to share experiences where now it's fun. You get to see you in your environment. You get to see you with your family. All because we took a moment to, to have a conversation, right? Yep. Yep. No, I just love that. This, this conversation, I feel like it could go on for a while because there are so many different facets here. And, you know, we started talking about like performance, right? And the word performance and just, you know, understanding our fear, how we work through your fear, the different client experiences that you've had, really tying that into so many areas of our life to understand exactly how strong we are, right? I think that's something that we can't shout from the rooftops enough so that everyone can believe in themselves and stepping into who you are could be the one time where you do inspire that person to actually show up as themselves, right? And not taking that responsibility lightly. That's something that we have a responsibility to ourselves and to those that we interact with, right? You know, you, this conversation has been so great, like I said, but you also have something for all of our listeners that I just want to make sure we have time that you can just share what it is about, but it's your five minute formula. This is an absolute free uh, resource that you are so graciously giving to all of our listeners. Could you tell us a little bit about this? It's called the five minute fear formula and it's a free download. You can go to five minute fear com. You can do the, the word five or the uh, the number five, it'll get you there either way. But it's something that I noticed I was doing unintentionally, just out of habit, as I was getting to racing in music environments, I'd have this anxiety come over me right before the performance, right before the engine started. 
And I was doing these pieces individually and over time I realized this is a process I was walking myself through to step in with more power so that I didn't have this mental anxiety overwhelming me before I stepped into the high stakes moment. And it takes five minutes and it's gonna help you embrace your fears to unlock your potential in any given moment, whether you're stepping into the boardroom to give a big speech, you're going to take that test you need to do to, to get the, that final certification, or maybe you're just gonna have this conversation at home with your spouse, your partner about something that's really meaningful, but you're afraid to have it. So set your timer for two minutes and we're gonna empower yourself you write down as many of your lifetime skills, wins, accomplishments as you can in that given time frame. And that could be you know, degrees you've gotten, accolades, awards, all the way down to you learned to ride a bike as a kid, you learned to speak. Anything that you can empower yourself to remember in the past, hey, like I have done some really hard things and I was able to do it. So take two minutes to do that and then set the timer for 30 seconds and you wanna reflect on those. And you wanna circle the skills and accomplishments and wins above that you were once fearful of. Because so many of those things that you've accomplished, you did have some fear around, right? Mm-hmm. And again, we're just reflecting on the awareness of what is, what are the things that I've done in my life that are really meaningful and powerful, yet I was scared to do them. Realizing that you have fear and it's okay. The third step, you're going to take another 30 seconds and you're just going to observe. And on a scale of one to 10, one being less fearful, 10 being more fearful, you're going to circle and look at the the current fear compared to your average of all those other fears. So if you kind of created the aggregate fear of like, man, those other fears are like Mm -hmm. a five. And in this moment, what I'm about to do is a three. Or maybe this fear that I'm this thing about to do is really a seven or eight. It's not about trying to be less than your average of fears, but it's just how am I feeling right now in this given moment? Where's my fear at? And then the fourth step, take another two minutes and we're going to strengthen your identity around all of the skills, reasons, and abilities while you're primed to overcome and embrace that fear. And at the end of that, you've just done an act of self-love. So steps one, two, three, and four, the acronym is EROS. And it's about the instinctive ability for us to go out and create self-love in the world to uh, that creative life force within us that when we show up knowing what we want, owning our power, you know, it's like we go into it really creating something and having the ability to choose love over fear and have the faith that there's an outcome that's going to work for us. Whether we fail or not, we're going to have an opportunity to learn and grow. And you can do all that in five minutes. And that tends to slow down the amygdala a little bit, get your out of the head a little bit, get yourself onto paper. So you can print out that document and pull a notebook full. And it sounds silly. It sounds simple. But again, when we're in this mental anxiety space, it helps calm the body, calm the mind. And allows us to claim a little bit of ownership over our life and our, have agency over what's about to happen so we don't give away our power. So great. So great. And I love that it's like five minutes because I know everyone out there is like, oh, I don't have time for this. Oh, da, 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 da. no, you got five minutes, right? And this could be the difference between walking in, in a in to whatever experience you're going to in a fearful position or in a powerful position. And so that five minute investment, totally worth it. Thank you so much for giving um, all of our listeners that guide. But, you know, uh, what is the best way for everyone to get in contact with you, follow along with you? If you want to see an overview of all the things, you can go to tylerwilliamslive.com. Check out music, racing, coaching, speaking, all the things. If you want the 5-Minute Fear Formula, 5MinuteFearFormula.com. And then the best place, social media-wise, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere, but I love connecting on Instagram the most, and that's at twilliamslive. 
Awesome. Okay. We will make sure everyone listening in, all of this will be linked. So it'll be super easy for you to connect. Um, but Tyler, I just have to say thank you. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Um, but I do have one question before we sign off here is when it came to performing, okay. And I'm going to let you mentally decide what performing is. What is one thing that you wish you knew earlier? to be successful that you could share with our audience? No one cares about what you're doing as much as you do. And so what you think is the end of the world is more often than not just a blip on the radar of your life. And so that thing that feels like the end of the world, it's just a moment. Pick yourself up, try again the next time and learn to enjoy those moments. Ah. Okay. That was so good. We are closing it up right there. Um, Tyler, thank you again. And um, all of you guys listening in, if this episode hit you a little bit, or maybe it was a conversation that you had with a friend or a colleague, it would mean the absolute world if you shared. Share, share this. If you can tag us, great. If you don't want to and you just want it to be private, totally understand. But we would want to give you all the love. And obviously by paying it forward, you could be helping someone else too. So um, until next time, make sure you come back twice a week for episodes here on the Business of Being Healthy. 